you're right ahead of me. We don't even need to do that. Praise God. Say, this is the day. The Lord has made. I will rejoice. And be glad in it. Get someone a smile offering. Praise God. All right. Uh, can you pop up, please, back in the uh, wonderful sound booth, people? Can you please pop up Ephesians 4.11? Like, oh, it's just the scripture. It's like, oh. Uh, and, he, and he himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Raise your hand if you don't feel called to one of those. Raise your hand high. That you don't, you do not. Okay. Raise your hand if you do. Well, good. This, this is going to be for everybody. <laughs> Go down to verse 12. Verse 12. So what, what, are they, what are these five here for? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. See, my job is not to do all the work of the ministry. My job is to equip you guys to do the work of the ministry. And in every church, probably one of the greatest needs in a church is to close the back door. Every church has a back door. And what is that? What is that? that is where people that have been coming, all of a sudden, you don't see them anymore. And they just quietly go out the back door. And if you have a church of 400 and some like this, it's easy sometimes you're like, well, I haven't seen so-and-so in about a month. But at that point there's been some major needs that you could have addressed and it's kind of hard for one person to be able to meet the needs of so many. So my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And so why do I bring this up? Because we've announced two or three times about our connect team that is going to be calling on members and checking up on them and ministering to them. And we've gotten no result. We have no, we've had no response. Uh, I have need of thee. And I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. And, uh, well, pastor, I don't feel lead. I wish I had a piece of lead up here. That I could just go ahead, touch, touch it, and oh, you feel lead. Well, you, you know what? It's good to be led in a specific thing, but, you know, sometimes you just, you can be led generally. I generally am led to be a blessing, generally led, and I can be generally led that the pastor have need of me, then I can feel led that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve. So this is not for everybody, but someone out there I'm speaking to, that God's quickening you, and you're called into the ministry, and this is where it starts. Well, you know what? Ministry would be a lot easier if there wasn't people. <laughs> and I'm called to the ministry, but don't really like people. Well, learn to like people. And this is a good way to start learning to like people. And so, again, we have a, we have a volunteer minister uh, form you can fill out because we have no volunteers in this church. We have volunteer ministers because you're all ministers. And some are being on staff. Some are not paid. I, for 16 years, I was a singles pastor, and you get paid one red cent. And so if you're called to ministry, that's the fertile ground where you start. So praise God. Amen. All right, so we want to actually pray over a couple that's leaving the church but coming back. And so Tracy and Daniel Amstead, will you come up here? They're going to go to Europe for a long trip. Come on up here. 
And so they're going to be ministering. So um, where's the, there you go. Can you tell us what you're going to be doing, how long you're gone, and uh, we won't pray over you. Thank you, Pastor. Yeah, we are heading out Thursday for Germany and Netherlands and France. And, uh, Suffering. For yeah, that. amen. 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 So we're going to be over there for about a month, actually, uh, ministering 20 different times. It was 19, and it grew into another one. And uh, we're doing three different healing schools in Amsterdam. They've rented a big auditorium. Wow. And the Dutch media has already interviewed us and said, what can we expect? And so it's really exciting to see what God is doing all around the world. Amen. 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 And uh, we just feel like uh, we're ambassadors from River Rock Church as well. Amen. Yeah. Going under the name of Karis, of course, and uh, doing some nights of worship and then teaching in the Kara schools there. So you guys, thank you so much. We love you, and we just wanted to really have your prayers uh, be with us as well. So you want to share anything? Yes, I want to piggyback on Pastor Mick. I want to encourage you with what he's saying. Um, we went to see Jesus Revolution last night. Oh, man. You got to go see it. And you have to go see it. Yeah. Because everybody is wanting the third great awakening. But it's going to happen with doing things like he's talking about. Amen. Because if you go see this movie, this is when I got born again. So it was it during that move. Was during that move. And so I understand it. I get it. And it was all relationship-based, guys. All of it. So if you want what we want, then you're going to have to get out of the COVID mindset and call people and touch and be there. Just real quick, um, one thing the Lord did for us, which I just want to share with you, you know, God does exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think, right? It just happens that we're going to be over in France where our backslidden son lives in South France. <laughs> Amen. And we have the opportunity after uh, our time of ministry to go down and spend about four or five days with him. And it just happens to be over his birthday. We, we've never been there. It's always been kind of a thing in his heart that we've never taken the time to come. So God just said, I'm going to do it for you. Amen. All right. Stretch out your hand towards them. Hopefully no unbeliever comes in right now when we're on the... Praise God. All right. All right. Well, Father... We lay hands on the Amstets as the Lord as we release them, not only going from Karis, but also ambassadors, ones sent from the local church with the authority of the local church. And Father, I thank you as they go, Lord, they have traveling mercies. Lord, I thank you, Father, they have favor all the way through in every, every plane, yes. every car, yes. every train, everything that they would ever be on, Lord, I thank you that it functions perfectly. Mm -hmm. Father, I thank you that they'll get sleep on the plane. They'll have rest on the plane, Father. I thank you that nothing they eat shall harm them. Amen. Nothing they drink shall harm them. Amen. And, Father, I thank you for the anointing of God. I thank you that they have words, Lord, in season for the people to release to them, Lord. I thank you, Father, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be in operation, Lord. I thank you, Father, for just the third great awakening, Lord, over there being manifested and fires be started. Wherever they are, fires will be started, will remain burning after they leave. 
So, Father, I thank you, Father, for just blessing them and also blessing them financially for anything that, that may be costing them to go over there, Lord. I thank you that it comes back to them multiplied in Jesus' name. Yeah, I just add to that, I just see, uh, Daniel, you've been called a father of worship, and you're going over as a father. Tracy, you're going over as a mother, and you're going to find other fathers and they that fire. But, like, you're going to go find some fathers and mothers and ignite them to do their job. And you're also going to find the kids who are looking for fathers and mothers, and you're going to do that for a little bit, but you're going to connect them with other spiritual parents right there where they're at um, to help them move to the next place that God has for them. You know, sometimes it's like you always go home to your parents, but I feel like the Lord is saying there's some people who just aren't doing it, and he, you've said yes to him, and he's going to take you as spiritual parents to go and ignite a fire to other parents that need to step up and into that place and embrace who they are. And to those kids who are just, they're lost. Yeah. And they need to be connected. Yeah. And the Lord's going to use you as a spiritual connector and start Thank a fire that will continue to burn. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Amen. 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 Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Pastor. Love you guys. So we also saw Jesus' revolution last night. Didn't see you there. But it's a wonderful movie, and so please go see that, and it's good to see good, clean, Christ-exalting, the gospel clearly portrayed in in unfiltered uh, purity. So praise God. All right, you ready for the word? All right, we're in the book of Galatians, chapter 3. We're going to pick up with verse 18 and go all the way down to verse 22. I'm going so slowly because Galatians is just so packed. And so dense, we don't want, we want to just kind of glean what we can in this in the time that we have. So Galatians 3.18, let's read. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scriptures has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God that has all the nutrients that we need. We're going to receive it by faith, be nourished by it this morning. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. And that they walk away hearing from you, Father. And I think only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go to verse 18. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Look at the word inheritance. Everything God the Father owns was given to Jesus Christ, his son. And so inheritance goes down to the children. And so back in the day, in the ancient day, the inheritance of the father came to the firstborn son. And so all that God owns, and that's a lot, (laughs) was given to Christ by inheritance. So this means being in Christ, we share all the Father has. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, a very important verse. 
Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now say amen if, you, if that verse is meaningful to you. Amen. Okay, unfortunately, I just read a clueless translation to you. I left out the words in Christ. So easy do we leave Christ out of it. And we seem to think that God has a deal with him and us. But he doesn't have a deal with you and him directly. He has a deal with Jesus Christ, his son. The new covenant was made between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how did you get in on it? By faith in Jesus, you were placed in him. You were, tell someone you're in Christ. Because I'm, I'm tr trusting that's the case because we're all family here and I've had many altar calls for salvation and none of you have answered yet. So, so I take it you are believers. We, leave, we so easily leave in Christ. Well, pastor, it's just semantics. No, it's really not. Because if a covenant was made directly from God to you, a covenant's only as strong as the weakest link. You are the weak link. Now, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your neighbor. I mean news like this. But you're the weak link if he had a covenant just with you. But no, he have, you have a covenant made between God the Father and God the Son, and both of them are perfect. Both of them are perfect. Uh, both of them uh, are eternal. And there's no weak link. And so you'd be thankful that that covenant's made between God the Father and Jesus. And by faith, you've entered into that. And so he shares everything with you. Isn't that nice of him? He didn't have to. But freely, he loves to share everything he is and everything he has with you. That's why you're holy. That's why you're righteous. Well, I'm just that good. No, you're not. He shares it with you. You're a king and a priest. Why? Because he is. And so he shares it with you. So, don't, so tell someone, don't leave Christ out of it. I was bad and I tricked you. I want you to see some how easy it is to leave Jesus out of things. To Abraham and to his seed were the promises to inherit the world. Look at Romans 4.13. To Abraham and to his seed. I'm going to find out when the covenant was made, he put Abraham into a deep sleep. He didn't even participate. And we're going to see God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ came together and created and cut covenant. And Abraham got into it by faith. And so inheritances are not given out of what's due for your good works. You never deserve an inheritance. Why do you get an inheritance? It comes through birth. You're born into an inheritance. So Jesus Christ has an inheritance because he's the eternal firstborn of the Father. But you become into this, you become an inheritor because you've been born again in the Christ, the firstborn. I want you to look at a very interesting verse in Hebrews 12. Look at verse 23. In Christ Jesus, you're seen as sharing his firstborn status. We just saw, remember the, the illustration we had about the firstborn blessing and the firstborn was rejected that the younger would get the firstborn blessing? Well, that's, that's what Hebrews 12, 23 says. Hebrews 12, look at verse 23. And to the general assembly and the church of the who? The church, that's you, say you, that's me. 
the church is the church of the firstborn. And so you're a bunch of firstborns because you were born in the firstborn. And he shares his firstborn status with you. And so guess what? You get the inheritance. And, and that means you're loaded. Tell someone you're loaded and didn't know it. And the inheritance, the inheritance is, if the inheritance is of the law, the law means you're going to work for it. Then he couldn't have given it by a promise. But the inheritance was given to Abraham by a promise. And so, so it's no longer a promise. And so God gave it to Abraham by promise. And so notice it says he gave to Abraham, say gave it to Abraham by promise. Look at the word gave, it's charismai where the root word is charis, or charis if you're from Texas. It, it's grace. It's a grace gift. And so this inheritance was a grace gift by promise, a promise. So what's the difference between law and promise? Well, law living is based upon working. New covenant living or grace living is based upon believing. Law living is based upon achieving Grace living is based upon believing what's been promised. It's crucial to base your faith on the promises of the Word of God. Base your, promise, but base your faith on the promises of the Word of God. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit to show us what God's promised to us concerning what we're facing. Ask the Holy Spirit. He's the helper. One called alongside to help. The Holy Spirit's called the helper. Tell someone next to you, you need help. Now tell the other person, you really need help. <laughs> and some Christians get more help than others because they depend on the Holy Spirit more. God does not move to provide for you based on your need. Well, he sees I have a need. And he'll meet it because he loves me. But no, hold on, hold on a second. God doesn't move to provide you because you have a need. Because if he moved by, based on need, then he would have solved all the world's problems. No, he, he's already moved. Before you had a need and promised the provision to you if you would believe it. Let me say something to you. Well, I'm not, I'm, I don't have any legalism in me. I don't have any law in me. Oh, yeah, really. Well, I'm going to make a statement. You will not receive what you need just by praying for it. Oh, no. What, what's these things I hear? Sure. No, no, no. Just praying for something doesn't mean you're going to get it. It needs to be believing prayer. Because there's a lot of unbelieving prayers, a lot of begging going on. There's a lot of telling God what I need and asking and asking and asking him to provide or to do something about my need to provide my need. And all along, you're in legalism. You're trying to get God to move by your much prayer to get him to do something, to supply something, but he's already done it. And he's already given you a promise of what he's already provided and so believing prayer, it understands and receives the promise and says, thank you. Yeah. 
thank you. I love Andrew talks about hypocrites love to pray. For their long praying, they feel like God's going to respond to them. Now, sometimes some of the best prayers are short. Thank you, Lord. It's done. Thank you. Say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That's Pentecostal. God gave Abraham promises, not commands. Look at Hebrews 11. Look at verse 17. Hebrews 11, 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. Oh, that was horrible that Abraham was going to go have a sacrifice, a human sacrifice to God. That was the least thing Abraham was thinking that day, that he was going to kill his son and his son would be dead. No, no. He had received promises. What was one of the promises you received? In Isaac shall your seed be called, and through Isaac shall all the nations be blessed. And so he realized that Isaac had to live and have children and be able to... And so he realized if he died that day, that could not come. And he had, God had promised and he counted him faithful. And so he knew, even if I have to kill this kid, God's going to raise him up. We know so because when he went to Mount Moriah, he spoke to the servants and said to them, we, we are going up yonder, That's Oklahoma, we're going up yonder to worship and we are coming back. He was in faith. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.20. Tell someone all you need is a promise. For some of the promises of God, okay, for all the promises are yes and amen. Oh, I did it to you again. I did it to you again. And if I wouldn't have said anything, you would have went, amen, amen. Don't leave Jesus after it. In him. For all the promises of God in him. Are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us, through you. You add the amen, amen, so, so be it, it is. God's promised something, and you say amen, it is so. That's the release of faith, through you. You don't receive from God by the power of your flesh, but by the faith of the power of God's promise. Let me say that again. You don't receive by God from God by the power of your flesh, but by faith in the power of God's promise. You cannot mix working for something and believing for it at the same time. Either you're going to work for it or you're going to, or you're going to believe that it's been promised to you and you're just going to accept it by faith. You can't mix those two. Look at the word promise. It literally in the Greek means to declare over. To declare over. What does it mean that God's promised you or promised things to us in the new covenant? God's already declared many things over you and your health, finances, marriage, family, and ministry. He's already declared his word over you. You need to find out what God's declared over you, and you need to start thanking God for it by faith. Let me say it again. Find out what God's declared over you, and you need to start thanking God for it by faith, 
And then you need to start declaring it into the natural. This is where a lot of Christians miss it. Well, God's word said it, so I guess it'll just happen. Because I'm too subtle. Just because God's declared it over you does not mean it's going to happen. Well, Pastor, why? I'm glad you asked. Do you know God declared everything he declared? He declared to a prophet, and the prophet turned and declared it into the earth. Do you know, after Genesis 126... After Genesis 1.26, we don't see God speaking directly to the earth and the circumstance of the earth directly. You don't find it. But before verse 26, you do. He said to the earth, bring forth animals. He said to the oceans, be split. He said to the expanse. He said he spoke, he spoke, he spoke to the earth. But verse 26 was a demarcation of a change where he made man in his image and gave him dominion over the earth over all the animals and everything that creeps on the earth. Ladies, you're, you have authority over creeps. <laughs> After verse 26, he had to start speaking his word to people. And the people spoke. He spoke to Abel. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to David. He spoke to all the prophets of the Old Testament. He spoke to the apostles. He spoke to Paul. And in the word of God, he's spoken individually words over you, but you have to turn around them and speak them into the earth because you have authority on earth. Not everyone is called into the office of a prophet where you minister prophetically over other people, but God's called you to be the prophet over your own life. That's right. That's right. Amen. What have you been declaring over your life? What you're seeing? Many are just reporting on their life, not prophesying over their life. Are you a reporter or a prophet? A reporter just prophets on things they see and hear. Well, that's, most Christians are just reporters. And they're going to God reporting what they see down here. And God wants you to say, no, I've spoken what I see and what I want. I've, prom- I've spoken, declared over you. Now you turn around and declare it to your situation. Amen. Well, Pastor, I just don't see anything changing. Tell someone you could be the problem. Now tell someone else you are the problem. Talking to your neighbor. <laughs> you need to find out what God's declared over you, what his promise is. And then you need to find that promise and you start meditate on the promise. Meditate means you think it over, you ponder it, you see it, and you start muttering it, you start speaking it. But the problem is, is we take, we're trying to take God's word and we're speaking it at God. And if we speak enough at God and quote it enough at God then it'll motivate God to do something and move. You need to put your, your, your word machine gun down where you're quoting the word of God. Rat-a-tat-tat, rat-a-tat-tat, rat-a-tat-tat-tat-tat. God, you said, God, you said, God, God, you said. Who are you trying to convince? He's already convinced. 
He says, it's done. When I speak, it's done. You need to start thanking him for it. And then you don't speak to God about it. You speak to yourself about it. But then you speak out of faith. There's a confession unto faith and confession of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The closest ears, the closest mouth to your ears is your own. So you need, to, you need to speak the word over you so that it gets from here down to here. But then it's the confession of faith. That's when you speak to the mountain. That's when things change. And I have a gift for you today. You're welcome. I have a, a promise book. A thousand promises from the word of God. Alphabetical and all the different areas you would need God's word. And this is what God's spoken over you. That isn't automatically going to happen. He's given it to you to be from you. So take it in here and start reading these, meditate, and then one or two of these are going to, are going to be quickened to you. Meditate on that, and then start declaring those over the situation. Don't declare them at God. You're talking in the wrong direction. And so we have one per family. If you're single, you're a family. <laughs> Grab one. If you're married, then get one. If you have 17 kids, you get one. <laughs> well, I'm going to get one from the person that should have been here. No, I'm sorry. We only have 80 copies for this service. So one per family. I think there should be enough. All right. Praise God. Verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through the angels, through angels by the hand of a mediator. What purpose does the law serve? The Judaizers would ask this. Paul, you're talking about that God promised Abraham, and it's by promise, and, and Jesus uh, provides a new covenant by promise, then why is the law? Based on works, why was the law added? And so Paul's going to answer this question, why was the law added? Because if you think about it, the, blessed, the, the covenant of Abraham was a great covenant. He showed up to him, five I wills. I will, I will, I will, I will. I'm going to bless you. There's no ifs. If you read your Bible, there was none. If you obey perfectly, he, he didn't. He said, don't get away from your family. And he takes his family. He gets down to the promised land. There's a famine. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm trusting you in this situation, he bolts and goes down to Egypt, looks over his wife, says, you're hot. They're going to want you. And will you lie for me and say you're just my sister? It's not good for the marriage. <laughs> and she gets taken. And he did it twice. And every time, God would bless him. You think, why? Why? Because the covenant of Abraham taught one main revelation. God's good to you not because you're good, because he's good. Yeah. You need to understand that revelation. God bless is good to you, is being good to you right now, not because you're so sweet. I know you're sweet, sweetheart, but not that sweet. God's good to you because he's good, not because you're good. And that's the, that's the only revelation that really the Abrahamic covenant had. But it says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added, say added. Okay, added to what? It was added later after the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, 430 years later, it came afterwards. It wasn't added directly to the covenant of Abraham to where they mixed into one covenant. It just was added later. The law acted, it was added. Look at the word added. It's the Greek word prostitheny. 
I don't usually say big, long Greek words at you unless we get an English word from it. Where do we, what, what word do you think we get from prosthetomy? Prosthesis. What is a prosthesis? It's, it's an artificial limb that, when do you need one? When you have an incomplete limb. It, it, it'll fill out an incomplete limb, but it's not the same as the limb. The law was a prosthesis to the Abrahamic covenant. What did it add? What was missing in the Abrahamic covenant? Three main revelations that man would need beyond the revelation we just talked about in the Abrahamic covenant. You would need three more revelations for man was ready to receive the Savior. And the law brought in three missing revelations, and what are those? Number one, the first revelation that was not in the Abrahamic covenant was that God is holy and he has to punish sin. Because if you just looked at Abrahamic covenant and Abraham did a piece of stupid, but God blessed him, you think, well, God didn't care about sin. He's okay with it. No, he's not okay with it. And so God's a holy God and his justice is perfect and there has to be a punishment just when justice is, is broken. So the first thing the law brought was the wrath of God. Before the law was given, they would murmur, gripe, and complain, and God would just bless them. Why? Because they're under the covenant of Abraham. But then they got to Mount Sinai, and God says, they don't understand why I'm blessing them. They think they deserve all this. So, let, so I'm going to offer them a new covenant based on their works and them deserving it. And he gave 613 commandments to Big Mo, <laughs> my friend Mo. And, and, and Moses go down and tell them they have to keep 613 commandments or I'll kill them. So he goes down and he reads all 613. And he says, do you want that covenant? Who so goes back up to God and says, they said yes. Well, okay, no, no, no. Wait, go back down. Tell them again exactly what, and put them on two mountains and blessing and cursing and, and read it from morning to evening and sprinkle blood all over them. I mean... Tell them, this is serious. If they don't keep it, I'll kill all onions. And, and, and so he does it. Morning, he sprinkle blood all over and gets up out of the mountain and says, uh, God, they said they'd do it. And God says, oh, if they had such a heart that they could. They don't understand their own heart. God says, okay, ratified. And the very first time they did, they, they did what they did before, grumble, gripe, and complain, someone died. The law brought forth God's justice and holiness and wrath. The second revelation that was not in the Abrahamic covenant is the nature of man, which is sin, sinful. Man didn't really realize that they were a sinner until the law came. And when the law came, all of a sudden something rose within them and says, you shall not. Something rose up and says, I shall. And how dare you tell me I shall not. Do you know when the law came? They didn't get over the first, they said, all, well, all 613 will do, and it'll become our righteousness. You have any others? They didn't get out of the gate and broke the very first commandment and did a face plant over the first commandment. Don't make an image of God. They didn't know their heart. Totally corrupt. The law brings the knowledge of sin, singular, the sin nature. The Abrahamic covenant did not have that revelation in it. The third revelation the law brought is what would God have to do to save man but still deal with his sin, an innocent substitute. And so God says, under the law, in case, someone's going to have to die here. Death. 
Wages of sin is death. Death is going to happen. So either you die or an animal dies. I said, we pick an animal. <laughs> and then you had sheep and bulls and bullocks, and you had all these different types of that pictured who Jesus was. And there was an innocent substitute. So the law taught that there must be an innocent substitute, that the righteous, the innocence of the animal would come on the person and their sin go on the animal, but death had to occur. And so every bull, every bullock, every sheep, sacrifice taught about Jesus Christ. And you put those four revelations, the one that God's good to you, not because you deserve it, but God's good, and that God's a holy God, must punish sin. You're a sinner that needs salvation, and how he does it is through an innocent substitute. Now you're ready for the Messiah. It was added because of transgressions. Well, see, Pastor, the law was given to curb sin. <clears throat> nope. Look at the word because of. It can either be translated, this Greek word can be translated either because of or for the purpose of. You have to look at the context to find out what's, what it's saying. Or sister verses that teach what is it, is it, was the law given to curb sin, stop sin, limit sin, or was it given to promote transgressions? They didn't even say sin here. It didn't say curb sin. It says because of transgressions. So which is it? Well, I'm going to give you three verses to prove to you it was given in order to create transgressions. Look at Romans 5, look at verse 13. This is the Amplified, I believe. Romans 5.13 in the Amplified Classic. To be sure, sin was in the world before ever the law was given. But sin is not charged to a man's account where there's no law to transgress. Transgression. For the law results in divine wrath, but where there's no law, there's no transgression. Of it either. So here, it couldn't mean the law was given to curb transgressions because before the law there was no transgression. It was to create transgressions. Look at Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20, did the law, was the law given to curb sin or to create what's called transgressions? Romans 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that offense, that's Greek word trans trespass, that the trespass might abound. So here, that whole teaching that the law was given to curb sin is an error. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. I'm giving you three verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. Well, the law was given to stop people from sinning. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The law wasn't given to weaken sin, to strengthen sin. And so what does it mean that it was given for the purpose of transgressions? Because sin was always in the world, but people didn't see it. And when they actually broke a known law, you shouldn't do this, don't cross this line, and you cross that line, that, became, that sin went to trespass. It's a judicial offense. And then you saw it, and you keep doing it and keep doing it. And it's like, why do I have a trouble keeping this law? I keep breaking it. Because there's something wrong on the inside, you have a sinful heart. You sin, they sinned because they were sinners. The knowledge of sin came. In Galveston, Texas, 
a hotel off the shore of the Gulf of Mexico put a notice on each room, and it said, no fishing from the balcony. <laughs> Yet every day, hotel guests threw in their lines to the waters below. Then the management decided to take down the signs, and the fishing stopped. <laughs> There's something I shellfish, because I'm, I'm a shellfish. The law stimulates sin and creates sin into transgression so you could see it. Before the law, there was sin in the world, but people didn't know the extent of the sin and the depravity because of it, and the law exposed the ugliness of their sin. The goal of the law was to reveal to man his utter depravity and sinful nature. The role of the law is to show us our state of sin in such a way that it shows us there is no hope in ourselves. Whereas the role of the gospel is to bring the good news of hope to those who have no hope. Let me say that again. The role of the law is to show us the, our state of sin in such a way it shows that we have no hope in ourselves. Whereas the role of the gospel is to bring the good news of hope to those who have no hope. Till the seed should come. The law was given till the seed. Who's the seed? Jesus. Jesus. I'm glad you said Jesus, not you. Till Jesus would come, whom the promise was made. Jesus came to fulfill two covenants. He came to fulfill the law in his perfect life. He lived under the law, born under the law. He fulfilled the law in his perfect life for 33 years. He came to live before he came to die. He came to fulfill all the commandments of the law in thought, word, and deed. And then he fulfilled all the sacrifices in his death. And when the covenant of law was fully, was fully satisfied and fully uh, uh, completed, it, it could be removed away because it was satisfied forever. And he also came to fulfill the new covenant as the seed of Abraham. He, it was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. The new covenant is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. To where once again, God is good to you, not because you deserve it, because he's good. Why is he going to heal you? Because he's good. Why is he going to meet your rent? Because he's good. How, how is he going to bless your children? Because he's good. And he's given a promise to you by grace, and if you'll simply believe it, then you'll have the inheritance, which is by grace and a promise. And this, this the, till the seed should come, the law was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Angels were involved in giving of the law. If you're taking notes, you can write down Acts 7.53, Acts 7.38, and Deuteronomy 33.2, if you're taking notes. It all mentions the angels were involved in giving of the law. In Acts 7.53, Acts 7.38, and Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. Angels guarded Moses from the presence of God and kept him from coming too close. It's interesting, you know, in the temple, there's a, there's a, there was a, a veil, a thick veil... But you know what was woven on this veil that separated man from the presence of God? Angels. Cherubim were sewn into it. Angels guarded the presence of God and for man getting too close. In the Garden of Eden, angels were sent to protect the way to the tree of life. Angels had swords going every other way protecting man from coming into the presence of God. And so on God's side, angels represented God, but who represented Israel? Moses was a middleman, a mediator, a middleman. 
So Moses was a middleman in giving of the law. He represented Israel as man. And so he was not a sufficient mediator because he could not represent God because he was not God. Angels could not fully represent God because they were divine, but they were of divine, but they were not God himself. So the mediation of the Mosaic Covenant had angels on one side, Moses on one side, and so it wasn't a perfect representation of God and man. Look at verse 20. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. So in the natural, a mediator represents two parties. Angels and Moses could not act as true adequate mediators between God and Israel, in which both parties were fully represented. Jesus was the only perfect mediator between God and man. Why? Because he was 100% God. He was 100% man. He could put his hand on God, a hand on man, and bring him together, and he was one person. That's why Jesus Christ, the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ and his virgin birth is absolutely necessary to understand. That he was fully God and fully man because he's the only one that could bridge them together in one person. It says, but God is one. Say, God is one. He's bringing out the difference between the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. So let's go back to Genesis 15, pop up verse 17. This is when the Abrahamic covenant was made. He puts, he puts Abraham into a deep sleep so he couldn't help. Tell someone you, God doesn't need your help. That's why I didn't make an individual covenant with you, because you would try to help. And tell someone else, you re he doesn't, really doesn't need your help. Now it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking, uh, a smoking oven and a burning torch that passes between the pieces. The, the, burn, the smoking oven represented God the Father, and the burning torch represented the Lord Jesus Christ. The smoking oven spoke of his wrath and his judgment, which Jesus would satisfy, and Jesus, in turn, would be a burning torch, a light to the Gentiles, a light of salvation. And so God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ made a covenant of Abraham, the, the Father and the seed, together. And when the new covenant was satisfied, which is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, you had God the Father making a covenant with God the Son, both of them being, in, uh, being God. And so the, there's only one in the covenant. So Jesus being fully God and fully man, reaching and connecting both of them together. Look at verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Is the law against the promises of God? And, and when there's a question answered, read it in context. Certainly not. So the answer is no. Here Paul anticipates the Judaizers' question. Well, is the law against grace and is it against the promises of God then? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which had given life, truly righteousness would have been given by the law. So actually the law was given to promote and lead people to receive grace. The law was given to show you how bad you were, how corrupt you were, how utterly helpless you are. So you would get on your knees and say, God, have mercy on me. I need grace. Amen. So the law facilitated you to understand your need for grace and to receive it. So the law is not against grace. 
The law, uh, actually, there's some today teaching the law as it, the law is bad. Bad law. The law's not bad. No, people are bad. The law just showed how bad you were. The law was perfect. The law is good and holy. And so we see that in Romans 7, 12, the law is holy, just, and good. It was the people that wasn't. If the law is used lawfully, then it's good. You know there's still a lawful use for the law today? It's to convince sinners that they need Jesus. Oftentimes when you're witnessing and you go out, you try to start with the love of God and the grace of God, but there's some sinners that are in delusion. You ask why, if you die today and stand for God, what would you say? I'm a good person. Oh, really? You're a good person? Oh, I'm a good, I'm a great person. Next to this person, that person. I'm not a dope dealer. Yeah, but have you ever lied? Uh Uh-huh. Then you're guilty before God. You ever, you ever had a lustful thought in your heart? Well, yeah. Well, then you're guilty before God. Have you, ever, have you ever coveted something? And so you go down, then you realize, oh, in the light of perfection, I need Jesus. So, so 1 Timothy 1.8 says, if the law is used lawfully, it's good, but not to become righteous. The law could show you your need for righteousness. It can show you that you're dirty and need a bath, but the law... Like a mirror is a mirror, it shows you're dirty, but the mirror can't clean you up. For if there had been a law given, which had part given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Do you know if, if the law could impart life, then you would have, the law and, and grace would have been opposed. If the law could have given life because grace gives life, and if the law could give life, you would have two competing ways of getting life. They would oppose one another. But the law can never make you righteous, never give you life. It can only point to how you could get it. So again, they were not opposed to each other. Verse 22, there's hope. But the scripture has confined some under sin. See, the problem with humanity is they think that they're pretty good. The goodness of humanity, the higher angels of the humanity. At, at, at the core of unregenerate man is utter corruptness. That's why you don't have to teach a child to do wrong. They do fine by themselves. You leave a child, they'll find it of their own self. But the scripture has confined all under sin. That means confined everybody in prison of guilt. And so look at Romans 3.9. What then are we better than they? Are we Jews better than the Gentiles? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks. Back in that day, you're either a Jew or you're, you're a non-Jew. A Greek. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all, say all, all. under sin. Everybody's guilty before God. Verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. That's without Jesus. There's not a single righteous person on this planet unless you accept Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of righteous people on the earth because you've accepted Jesus. But don't, live, don't leave Jesus out of it. Under sin. We saw last week in Romans 3.19 that the giving of the law to Israel caused the whole world to become guilty. 
because he gave all the advantages, all the benefits, the best of the best, and gave it to Israel and put them under the test tube of law, and they failed miserably. The Gentiles didn't have any of that, and Saul then failed. He said, if they failed, there's no hope for us. We're, we're more guilty. Let me give you another illustration. Let's talk about the Olympics. How do you guys, do you enjoy the Olympic Games? I enjoy the Olympic Games. I love the, the high dive. You know, those little, those little ladies from China? Like, you think, they're not even going to break the water when they hit. Let's bounce off. Now, and then they win every year. They win every, they don't break any, there's no drop of, they just drop it in there. And then they give them gold medals, and you're like, I, they don't need a gold medal, they need a sandwich. I mean, they're just little bitty ones. But anyway, um, the high jump, not the pole vault, the high jump. Do you know the current world record, what that is? You guys are up to date, all right? Eight feet, one-fourth inches. Eight feet. So let's say that, that you pick the very best jumpers in the entire world, train them, and then you set the bar at 20 feet. These are the best of the best on the planet. And they miserably, every single one, miserably failing the 20-foot mark. And you're sitting back on your couch going, yeah, I'm worse than that. Welcome to the law. God set a huge perfect bar. He said, Israel, take your shot at it. They fell miserably, actually were judged and kicked out of their land. And the Gentiles sitting back saying, okay, whoa. We're all guilty. That the promise by faith Say promise by faith. It's not just the promise. The promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Look at the word might. Might is because it's not automatic. Not everybody's going to receive the promise through Jesus Christ. It's by faith given to those who what? Believe. Let me say this to you. Well, Pastor, how does this apply to my life? God has given promises over your health, over your finances, over your marriage, over your children. He's promised, he's declared things over you that you might receive it. And why would you might receive it? Because some just not, does not believe it, they don't accept it, and then they don't release their faith. They're not acting on it and they're not speaking it. Most Christians are not standing on God's promises. They're standing on the premises. Are you standing on a promise today? Or are you just praying? Well, God, I just, I'm not, please, God, please, you see my need. Please do something about my, do something in my, do something with that spouse. Now, don't look right now. Don't, do not look. Save marriage counseling. What did God say over that situation? What has he declared that what provisions would make? What has he said? Well, you need to find out because guess what? It's not enough for God to say it. You then, you need to thank God for it and you need to start speaking it. That's why I've given you a promise book out there. And when we, when we get out, I want you to go get that promise book. It has all the different categories of marriage and fear and anxiety and everything that you would face. You need to start, you need to start meditating on those promises, confessing those promises, and start speaking them over your, over your situation. 
and you'll start seeing things change. Father, we thank you so much for the word. I thank you for your promises that you've already declared. Everything that we need for life and godliness has already been declared. It's already been provided for life and godliness. But Lord, show us what you've said so we can say it. We can declare it in the earth because you give us, us authority in earth. You've given us to be the prophet over our own life. You say, Pastor, I guess I've just been reporting on things. I haven't been the prophet over my life where I'm speaking God's word actively over my situation. And so today I realize I'm not going to be a reporter anymore. I'm going to be the prophet over my life. I want you to raise your hand. Father, I thank you for hands raised. I raise my hand, Lord. So often the flesh reports. The spirit prophesies. Then we're going to prophesy your word. And we're going to see great changes in the earth to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship God. Good morning. My name is Abigail. And I had just felt like the Lord gave me a word for the church this morning. So I was praying in my own prayer language, and he gave me the interpretation. And this is what I felt like he put on my heart. Sons and daughters, there is beauty in the wind. Revival is here. Jump into the wind. And actually, in our prayer time this morning in church, um, it was a theme. And I asked him, I was like, what does that mean to jump into the wind so that the body may know and I may know? And uh, somebody else got a word, and the wind is surrender. That's what revival is. It's surrender. Gosh, I'm so glad this song is on right now. I lay it all down. All I am is chasing you. Here I am in surrender. So let me say the word again, but instead of wind, I'm going to say surrender. Sons and daughters, there is beauty in surrender. Revival is here. Jump into surrender. sign of surrender is lift up our hands. I give up my way for your way. For my way is better, says the Lord. My way is better. My way is better. 